Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And um, like always and every Sunday, I know that the Lord has a word for us today. Um, Why? Because it's on your lap or it's in your hand, and that's the word of the Lord. And it's for you today. So our job is easy. All we got to do is just read it to you, and there's the word of the Lord for you today. So, um, but no, seriously, you know, we have the word of God, and we're able to pray, Lord, give me um, some sort of inspiration and ability to to teach it a little bit more so that it could really bring understanding. And in understanding, it would bring forth application and that it would bring growth into our lives. So last week, if you remember, if you weren't here, I hope that you caught the, the, the broadcast, the YouTube broadcast of um, last week's message where we jumped into Thessalonians and uh, we jumped into the history of it. So today I can't do that for the sake of time, but we jumped into the importance of this letter on um, the history of all of the, in this area of the Macedonia region and why Paul went there. All of that is covered um, in last week's message and introduction. And we learned about this church and we learned about, if, about its importance. Uh, this church was in a, a very important church, uh, especially with its progress in spreading the gospel throughout the region of Macedonia. And, and hopefully you remember that. So what I would like to do today is, because I think it's still, you know, it's, it's important for us as parents, it's important for us as Christians. If you work with someone, it's important for you. If you are a boss and people work for you, it's important for you. If you're a parent of a student that's going to school, it's important for you. If you're a student, it's important for you. If you're a teacher, you work in a school system, it's important for you. Whatever you do in life, this text and this teaching is very important for you. If you're a doctor, if you're a dentist, if you're a IT, whatever you are. It's important for you. Amen? So I want to pick up where I left off last week. We, we answered a question, and the question last Sunday was, what gives you joy? And we saw at the end what Paul said. He looks at the church, and he, he, it's almost like he points at them in his letter, and he tells them, you, yes, you are what brings me joy. And Paul understood his calling as an apostle, was, was laid down for Christ and for the church that he was called to pastor. And he tells this church that they were his pride, that they were his joy. And you think about that for a moment and you say, my goodness, this is the heart of Christ. It's that people would be on our hearts. That we would care so much about people and their growth in him. That we could say, you're my my joy to see you mature and grow in the things of God. That's my joy. So, So that's very important. Go back and hear last week's message. It was such an important introduction. So we know that this is a dear church to Paul, special in his heart. you got to remember that it's one of the first cities in which Paul would evangelize in, in this Macedonia area. And it's one of the first churches that he planted in Europe as well, in this Macedonia, also known as Europe. But most likely, we know also that right after Galatians, this is the second letter that he writes. And it was specifically written to this group of believers in Thessalonica. And we followed through the text last week, and we just read 
the heart of God through it. But today we'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul says this. Today's message is titled, here it is, very simple. Bless others by God. So there's a little word play with that. In blessing others, you do glorify God. And also bless others and glorify God. So, so you, we'll see what this all means as we kind of break down this text. Here's Paul, and he says, Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him, and look what Paul says. We sent Timothy to you to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith. And verse 3, he says, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles that you were going through, but you know that we are destined for such troubles. Paul's writing, and, 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 and you read this, and you're like, well, wait a minute. Just in the last chapter, you, maybe you may have forgotten, in chapter 2, we read about how much Paul wanted to be with these Thessalonians. He wanted to be with them during, specifically during their time of trial. Paul knew that they were struggling. Paul knew that they were going through a trouble in their life. And what Paul wanted to do, kind of like a father with his children, an apostle to the church, he wanted to be there with them to endure and to suffer with them and to encourage them in their trial. And I'm asking you, come at 3 o'clock, come to the hospital because we want to endure and come alongside and, 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 and join in and be part of someone else's suffering. Like, I want you to see like this is the gospel. This is the word of God and this is what it teaches us to do. And, 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 and it says here that he couldn't do it. He writes to the church and he says, I want to be with you, but I can't. Not yet. I'm not able to get there. And as you read through this letter, we know why. Because there's mobs of people, his modern day, his picture's up on every post saying wanted. And it's Paul's face. He's wanted and most likely the mobs want to get him. So, so he does the next best thing. Right now it's not wise for me to go back to Thessalonica. So what should I do? And he says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll send young Timothy. And he sends young Timothy whom he describes as a fellow worker. He sends young Timothy, who he describes as a trusted companion. If I can't go, I'll le at least I'll send someone that you can trust. I'll send someone that is loyal and faithful, a trusted companion. Now let's go back to the text. Ready? What is Timothy to do? Three things. I'm sending Timothy to you so that, number one, he could strengthen you. You've ever needed strengthening in your life? Like seriously, you've ever just felt weak and you felt down? I have. And then because I wear my emotions on a sleeve, it stinks because people see it. So when I'm down, I go like, hey, what's going on with you? Because they want me to always be screaming and smiling and happy. So when I'm having a down moment, like it's obvious. I'm quiet. I'm to myself. And, and it's just like I'm just having a moment. <laughs> and some of the greatest moments, some of the greatest times of my life is that at those times, God like, didn't show up and say, my son, I'm here to comfort you. I didn't, glitter didn't fall. Gold dust didn't fall. This appearance didn't show up in my prayer room. One of the most beautiful moments in my lives are a brother showed up though. 
And God sent someone that was very important at that moment to say, what's wrong with you? Let's, or let's pray, or let's talk, or let's spend some time. And right there, that's God's visitation to me because I needed someone to strengthen me in a moment of weakness. You've been there now. And that's the importance of the church. People are like, well, I don't need to go to church. I do church at home. That, that, no. Nowhere in Scripture can you justify that the church is to do it only by yourself at home. The church is to come together. The church is to rally together in our good and in our bad. Because some of us, man, we bring some problems. And some of us bring some solutions. And some of us bring vinegar. And some of us bring, uh, what? Honey. I don't know. We're all different. But we do it together. We're a church. We're the family of God. So Timothy's going to be sent to you, Thessalonica, and he's going to strengthen you. Not just strengthen you, but some of you need encouragement. He's going to encourage you in your faith. That means that they were being so tested that their faith was being tried. Your faith is being tested, and I'm going to send Timothy. And then number three, I want to keep you. I'm sending Timothy to keep you from being shaken. Well, what are they going to be shaken from? Well, from all kinds of troubles that they were going through. It wasn't just that their faith was being tried, but it was all kinds of troubles. I love that Paul writes all kinds of troubles that they're going through. Why? Because you fill in the blank. They weren't just sick. They weren't just dying. They weren't just going through financial issues. They weren't just... It was all kinds of troubles that this church was going through. All kinds of troubles. And Paul says, I'm going to send a fellow brother, a good companion who later on in his life will become a faithful pastor of a church. Study the life of Timothy. He is faithful to be sent by Paul to comfort a church. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, sees his faithfulness and does what? Rewards him. God rewards him. And he becomes a pastor later on in his ministry and in his life. Paul's like, you've been faithful with the sheep in Thessalonica. Then you can be with these sheep also and pastor them and keep them from being shaken. At this moment, one theologian describes the the whole shaken as this, and I'm going to quote him. It says, the ancient Greek would translate shaken. It came from the idea of a dog wagging its tail, flattered. As a dog flatters by moving his tail, the devil by flattering you with promise of more ease by a contrary course will but do as a dirty dog. He will defile you with fawning. He will defile you with his flattery. You, you want to help conquer the devil a little bit quicker? Whenever the trial comes, whenever the obstacle comes, look at it. Though it might be enticing and though it might be a big trouble for you, laugh at it. Because the way you see it now is a dog waving his tail at you. You just see so, so I want you to put this picture. When the devil comes to test you, when, when, when the flesh rises up, when things come to attack you, all you see is the dog waving his, his, little, butt, his little tail at you. And you're like, this is nothing but an old dog. And, 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 and that's what Paul is describing here. <laughs> he likes it. And that's what Paul's describing here. And as believers, affliction is going to happen to believers. Family members pass or things happen at work or things happen with friendship or all kinds of stuff happens. Our, 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 our faith gets persecuted. Affliction to every believer, it, it'll come. But affliction does not mean that God is angry at you. 
You know, because there's many of us and many believers that will say, oh, my God, you're being afflicted. For sure, Satan is there. The devil's there. It doesn't mean that God's mad at you and he sends a legion of devils to torment you. That's not what God does. Or, or you're afflicted. There must be sin in your life. You're afflicted. You, what are you hiding? And you're, and you're, like, you're like Job. You're like, what? Are you, what? I haven't done anything. So affliction does not mean that God is angry at you. But listen to this. The truth can be that affliction means that God loves us enough to give the best when we may only desire what is easy. And that's powerful. Lord, I want to pass this. I just want this to become easy. And the Lord's like, no, I'm doing something different. What I want for you is the best. When what you want and what you desire may be the easy road. So affliction sometimes can be to grow you. Affliction sometimes can be to, to work in an area in your life. You know, when my son, when my son first had his, his, his moment of, um, of uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak faith, ready? So, so if you're for this kind of stuff, be with me. And if you're not, well, sorry about that. But I'm just going to speak faith real quick. When my son used to have that diagnosis that they gave him, because he doesn't have it anymore, Amen. All right, I need two or more to be with me in agreement. <laughs> but when he once had those things, because for you guys that don't know, he's been a, a year free um, from seizures. So, so we're just going to say, and it's going to be forever, that he's not going to have any more seizures. But the moment that that happened to him when he was like about four years old, I remember that one of the first things that hit me was my prayer life. It changed my prayer life forever. I never prayed the same. Never. Because now it became so real. I mean, other people had seizures and other people were going through that. And, but then it hit home. and like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. How do I pray? How do I, what do I deal with this? I had no power to put my finger in them and heal them. No medicine was able to fix it. So I had to come, like I shared earlier, and bring that thing that I needed my prayer and supplication, I had to bring it unto the Lord. And that really changes you. That really does something to you. So if there's one good thing that could happen with what my son used to have, was it really did work something in my prayer life. And, and you could think about that in your life and the things that you go through. God wants to do something to you. Sometimes it's not the easiest way, the way he does it. But it is for the best. And at some point, every one of us has an appointment with affliction. I almost titled this message, you have an appointment with affliction. But can I tell you a true story? When I was going through pastoral training and stuff like that, I was preaching in front of some of the elders of our fellowship, and I preached the message. And after I was done, they looked at me and said, are you done? Yeah. And one of the first pastors who've been in ministry for over I don't know how many years looks at me and says, if you lost me at the title of your message, it was so negative and I, and, I, and I was so beat in the head that after hearing the title of your message and hearing the preaching you just preached, I probably would never come back to your church again because it was so hard for me to even breathe. And I just looked at that and I said, oh, so when I thought about today's message, I said, the worst thing that I could do is give you a negative message and tell you, affliction's coming for you. So I'm not going to do that. But I almost titled it, Affliction. We all have an appointment with Affliction. But instead, I was positive with the title. I said, bless others and glorify God. Here we go. So as we all have an appointment with affliction, we know that, you should write this down in your notes, ready? When my appointment with affliction shows up, 
Remember, and in all caps in your notes or highlight this, God is in control. I'm sure in this room, every single one of us have been afflicted and you've seen how God has been in control. In verse 4, as we just read 1, 2, and 3, Paul continues in his writing and look what he says. He says, even while we were with you, he was only with them for like three weeks. We learned that last week. He says, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And look what he says next. And they did, as you well know. I love Paul's heart. I love what Paul's doing here. Because he's telling the church, I spent only three weeks, weeks with you. And in those three weeks, I spent time telling you that, guess what? Trouble's coming. So we, we just pray for the teachers and for the workers and for the students and all of that stuff. I mean, God is placing them and trouble at one point may surround them. But who better to be in the center of trouble than the very children of God to magnify and glorify Jesus Christ? i rather have... A child of God in the middle of the trouble to bring glory to the Lord than a devil himself that continues to put fire or wood to the fire that <laughs> spreads more trouble. So God needs godly people in the trouble. And he says, I told you that these troubles would come, and they did. So what do we do with problems? What do we do with the, the uh, afflictions, as we're calling them, when they rise up? You should also write this down in your notes. Scripture teaches us this. We should rejoice. We should rejoice that we've been considered worthy. We've been considered worthy of sharing in Christ's suffering. When troubles and affliction rise up, find joy and know that you're sharing something with Christ. Christ is with me. So when Jackson got taken from the house at like 5 in the morning, um, they put him on a bed and he was still shaking and they put him in the, in the back of the, of the vehicle and they... Sent him to the hospital. My wife got in the uh, truck with him, and I stayed in the house. And my sister had just got in there because Jay was a baby, so she needed to watch my daughter as I get everything ready. I close the door, and I turn, and I look at my sister, and she just stares at me. And I just start weeping and crying. And she says, hey, <laughs> this is what you're going to do. Wipe those tears from your face. Go get the bags ready. And get to the hospital and prepare yourself for whatever you're about to hear and know and that this is the time that this God that you preach, now is the time to believe in the God that you preach. <sighs> At that moment, that's what I needed to hear. I didn't need to, oh, God is with you, brother. At that moment, I needed to hear the truth. You may hear something that you don't want to hear. But you go over there knowing the God that you stand on. When affliction rises, you go in there knowing the God that you stand on. This is the God that I stand on. If you were to ask me, what is the hardest you think you've, the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? The hardest thing that you've ever had to encounter in your life is seeing my four-year-old put in a car and being taken away from me, not knowing why in the world is he shaking and why can't it stop? We, what do you do at that moment? Nothing. Nothing but say, God, I believe in you and I know in you and I don't know what it is, but this trouble and this suffering is here. And then, and then scripture says, well, 
rejoice in it and count yourself worthy. It's worthy. The world will say, I'm so unworthy. The Lord, we, we immediately start to complain. And the Lord says, no, you rejoice in the middle of your greatest trial. Verse 5, let me stop there. It says, that is why when I could bear it no longer, Paul says, I sent Timothy to find out whether it was still strong. And I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy, he just returned to us. And he brought us good news about your faith and about, love, about your love. And he reports that you always remember our visit with joy. And that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Verse 7. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters. Because you have remained strong in your faith. Hallelujah. I, I, I don't know. But I just read this and all I could think of is how important our faith is. Look at this text. Look what Paul's writing here. It affects the world around us. Your faith affects the world around you. Your faith encourages the leaders over you. Paul is an apostle over the church and he's encouraged because they've had faith in their trial. Who would have thought that those sheep would... Would, 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 be, would be a blessing to their under-shepherd. Who would have thought that? Your faith, not only does it affect the world around you and encourage the leaders over you, but it strengthens the laborers that are alongside you. The people that you walk with and serve the Lord with, they need you in your time of trouble to be faithful, to endure the affliction. Why? Because you bless them. Your faith, it testifies even to the ones you lead, every single one of you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are leading someone, whether you know it or not. My son was here right now, and yeah, and I whispered to his ear, I said, you're a leader, son. You're a leader. Just want you to know that you're a leader, and a lot of these kids are looking at you. So decide what you should do while we're in worship. I have to remind them. Are you going to be, ah, or are you going to worship the Lord? You're a leader. Every single one of us in Christ were called to lead. Amen? And Paul says this to the church. He says, I wanted to see you, but I couldn't bear it anymore. I wanted to see you. I wanted to hear from you, but I can't. I, so I'll send Timothy. And I just want to know that, that if the enemy got the best of you, and, and if our time with you was useless or not, what a, what a, pa this is all I wrote in my notes. What a pastor's heart. <laughs> You could tell that he, he cares for the, for the sheep. You could tell he cares for the brothers and sisters because he's thinking about, oh, my God, I spent three weeks with them. Did all that go to waste? Did all that go to waste? If you've ever led someone, if you've ever done life with someone, if you've ever invested in someone, if you've ever hurt with someone, laughed with them, then you'll understand where Paul's coming from. When someone walks away from the faith, and you've been leading them for either three weeks or for years, and they walk away from the faith, that burden falls on you. Because you have memories, and you have conversations of Scripture with them, and they walked away from it, and you're like, oh my gosh, and it burdens you. And Paul understands that and writes that in the text. Not only that, but when someone walks away from you after you've led them for so long, it hurts you as you led people. It, it, it does something to you. I always, uh, no. 
All right, I'll talk about that in a pastor's training, not here. So Paul's like, I'm, I have this, 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 I just want to know, did you leave me? I just want to know, did you leave the faith? For the main reason, why does it hurt us? Because you really care. You really care and you really grew and you felt affection for that person. You grew together with them. And when they walk away from the faith, they walk away from the sheepfold, or they walk away from your very own life, it really does something to you. It really does affect you. Trust me, there's a lot of godly men and women that won't go to sleep at night because their thoughts are on those individuals that walked away from the faith. That walked away from their lives. And, and here's Paul, and that's what he's writing to Thessalonica. And, and, and Paul's joy, as we learned last week, it's evident. It's evident with, with what he comes to find out about these Christians um, in Thessalonica. Look what he says in the same chapter. Paul says, but now Timothy just got back. And he brings good news about your faith and love. And, and not only did he say, and that you actually care about us. Paul was worried. Do they even care about me? And Silas. And Paul's happy that the church even thinks of him. That the church thinks of Silas. But most importantly, not just that they think of me and you, Silas, but that they've kept their faith in the Lord. He says in verse 6, you always remember our visit with joy, and you want to see us as much as we want to see you. And Paul tells them, listen, we're struggling over here. Silas and I, we're going through it. Your leaders, your apostles, man, we're dealing with some stuff. But verse 7, we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of your troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you've remained strong in your faith. Paul's like, I'm struggling, but my God, am I encouraged to keep going because of the way that you've been faithful in your troubles. Wow. And I want to ask you again, do you see the importance of your faith, the importance of remaining steadfast? You may not know this because you may have a thought and you're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk away from that church. Do you know the effect that has on your brother or sister? Before you make that decision, have you thought about your brother or sister? I'm going to walk away from the Lord. Do you know the effect you have on the body and on others when you walk away from the faith? Have you really thought about it and said that was a good idea? Paul, Paul is writing here, and he's telling them something very important. Like, your faith is important. You staying steadfast and remaining the course through troubles, through affliction, this is important. It's a blessing. You're a blessing to others. You should write this in your notes because maybe you're here today like, I don't know what God wants to do in my life. I don't know if I'm any good for nothing. You should start today walking out of these doors knowing that you are a blessing. Well, what am I a blessing? Start with the person sitting right next to you. Starting today, I challenge you, if you don't know what your calling is in life, start being a blessing to someone else. Serve them. Love them. Don't do it while you take a video of yourself so everyone could see it. In the quiet, serve them. Let it be real. Serve them and honor them. Do it well. You're a blessing to others. And, and it glorifies God. Because the Lord needed to meet them. And the way to meeting them, it could be with their very own brother and sister. And you're like, well, you can't elevate us to that point of God. I'm not saying you're God, not for once. And neither am I. 
I'm just saying we are the body of Christ. And sometimes the hand needs to scratch the head. One body part helps the other body part. And that's what we are as a family. Come on. Bless others and glorify God. How about in affliction? Even more. Even more. Bless others. I think the greatest thing to do is when you're going through the darkest moment of your life is to immediately think about someone else and serve someone. And you'll see how that helps you in your darkest moment. Hope you're learning something there. Verse 12 and 13. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all the people grow and overflow. Did you hear that? May the Lord make your love for one another and for all the people grow and overflow. Bless others. Just as our love for you overflows, may he as a result make your heart strong. You ever met someone that has a strong heart? Not a hardened heart. A hardened heart needs to be melted down like wax. I'm talking about a strong heart. You ever met someone like that? Man, they're just like made out of iron. They walk through the fire. They have faith in the fire. They exit the fire. They survive for years. They're, they're just radiant. They're there. They have flaws. They have weaknesses. They have moments. But you know that these are, man, there's individuals, but then there's these pillars, pillars that we see in our lives that are just different. May, may the Lord make your heart strong, blameless, holy. Those are some strong words there. As you stand before God our Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy people, and then he says, so be it. Amen. <laughs> May your love for one another, for all the people, grow and overflow. May he make your heart strong. Another word is established, rooted. May you be blameless and holy. So the heart must be made holy first. In Matthew chapter 23, it teaches us, that the devil wants us to, to develop this holy exterior while neglecting the interior. Jesus calls them out and says, you're nothing but whitewashed tombs where outwardly you looked apart, but inside you're rotten to the core. You're full of dead man's bones. Jesus says that to a bunch of religious people. Have you ever been that religious person where everything outwardly looks good, but inside it's nothing but dried up dead man's bones? There's no life inside. The reality is you're called to have life inside of you before you ever show life outside of you. And Jesus calls it out and Paul's calling that out. Don't neglect the interior like those whitewashed tombs full of death. Pay attention to the life that's inside of you. Today, under the sound of this preaching, if your inside is dry, if your insides are rotten, if your inside smells some, now is the day, more than ever, pay attention to the interior man. Stop focusing on the exterior for a moment. Why? Because as long as it's like that, I'll never be able to serve someone else effectively. Because if I'm rotten and I'm dried up and I'm filled with dead man's bones, I'm going to always turn it around and say how people have neglected me. How people have not served me. How people have done this against me. And if you look at people that are always blaming others and that are always causing the fault on someone else, it's because inside their bones are withering and they're falling to the place of death. But when you're alive inside, it is less about you and it is more about the others that God has placed inside of you. That's biblical. 
That is biblical. When I am at my most tense, when I'm ridiculing and I'm bothered by the people that are in my life, it is because there's something wrong inside of me. And I have to do a check, an interior check to see what's going on with me. And when I'm at my healthiest in here, man, I I remove myself and say, well, let's see how we could serve them. Come on, do not neglect the interior. Bless others and glorify God. Amen? We're going to wrap this up soon. Listen, at our nest, before we, keep, before we close, because we're pretty much almost done, we have these codes that are very important, seven codes. Um, soon we're, we're coming up um, with a format where we're going to teach these codes and we're going to do discipleship um, in our church and all these things. But our, our nest has these six codes and they deal with what we do together and stuff like that. Let, let's just go over them. Number one. If you have our app, it's there. All you got to do is click on Nest Code. Or you could look up here. Or maybe you have it memorized. Number one, it's we believe the hype. Everyone in the world says, don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Well, in Christ, guess what? We're going to believe the hype. And that is that we have faith in Christ and his word. And together, we believe the hype. Number two, notice they all start with we. Number two, we are not normal. Praise God that you decided. Maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, whew. Praise God that one of their values, one of their codes is that they're not normal. Because for a long time, I've always felt like I'm not normal. You found a home. Amen? We're not normal. Number two, our second code, we're not normal. That's a call because you're called to be not normal. You're called to be remarkable. You're not called to be like the rest of the world. You're not called to be like every other thing. You're not called to even be like that church or that Christian. You're just called to be remarkable for his kingdom. Amen? Number three, another one of our codes is we get to give. We get to give, and giving can mean numerous things. And that talks about giving because you have, you're, you're able to give, and serve because you can. So we give, we give financially. Our church itself as a whole also gives, and gives to other church. And, and, and we give, and, and we serve because we have, and we can, we're able to. And that's one of our calls. We, we don't have to give. We don't have to serve, but we get to give. And we get to serve. When I come here on Sundays, the attitude should never be, oh, my God, I have to preach to them today. Oh, my God, I have to hug them and say hi to them. (laughs) Dude, retire. Retire. Teachers? Oh, God, I have 20 kids coming in. Do us all a favor, especially the parents. Maybe find another calling in your life. But what are we called to do? Not, I have to do this. Man, I get to do this. I get 20 kids in my room, and I get to serve them with God's love. My daughter's teacher's here this morning, so I'll just be very careful. (laughs) But I love how my daughter sees her, and I love how my daughter talks about her because it demonstrates that my daughter experiences on a daily basis love and experiences God when she's with her first grade teacher. And that right there is the greatest joy as a parent. We get to serve each other. It's not the attitude of we have to serve each other. We get to do this. We get to bless others. Amen? And we get to honor God and glorify him. I hope that you're 
You're shifting with change and serving. Get a spark in you. I want to see every single one of you doing something in this church. I want to open up ministries, open up teams, and I want to, I want to do whatever we have to do, but I want to see this church being sparked, turned on, and seeing us move forward for the kingdom of God. Amen? Not because we have to. Come on, church, but because we? Number four, we set the stage. It comes right off getting to give. We go right back into serving. We set the stage. What is setting the stage is? We just get to set it, and Christ stands on it and is glorified. He performs on it. We're just the stage setters. He is the grand performer. He is the, he is the highlight of the show. The spotlight is on Jesus Christ, but we are honored that we just get to set the stage for him. And that's our heartbeat. That's our code. We, we set the stage, meaning we serve him in excellence. In the littlest things, I love when I get here in the morning and I see one of our people, whether it's a male or female, and they have gloves on and they're cleaning the toilet, they're, they're cleaning the sink, all because you're coming today. And with a smile, most of them then, they're just, they smile, hey, I'm like, wow, you're amazing. Because I'd probably be miserable. And you're amazing. They, t- they, they encourage me. Because my wife says, hey, can you take care of the bathroom today? I'm like, so-and-so's coming, and it does something to me. It hurts me to the core. I almost feel like she's, she's really trying me and speaking down to me when she tells me clean the bathroom. It really does something to my inner core. And I walk in here, and I see some of our hype team, and they're like, Pastor, good morning. And I'm just like, you're amazing. Because for them, when they do it, they don't have to do it. They come to the house of God. I got brothers and sisters. I got kids that are going to come in to sit on this toilet and, and wash their hands on this sink. I get to do this. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve with excellence. I'm just going to set the stage so that he could be glorified. Amen? Amen? Number five, we leave the nest. But you just told us not to leave the church because it could affect someone. <laughs> but guess what? In a couple minutes, we're going to pray, and you're leaving this nest. After prayer, we leave the nest every Sunday. But don't you ever forget what, this teach, what the teachings are here, the heartbeat is here, and what God is telling us to do in here. And that is to go out. Every time we leave these doors, we don't just hoard it. We're not like Dead Sea Christians. We just keep it all in, and then we perish ourselves. We go outside, and we apply it to our lives. We go out, we reach out, and we multiply. We disciple others, and we minister to others. We leave the nest because we're creating other nests all around our community. Amen? And number six, we talked about this one already <clears throat> today at 3 p.m. We make war. And that's talking about battling together, crying together, fasting together, praying together, coming alongside together. Let's battle together. That's what we make war. And the seventh deals with what you are to take responsibility all by yourself, on yourself. And we always end every single Sunday service with three words. What are they? You are loved. It's our seventh code. And you are loved. What that means is you're called to love God. Oh, master, oh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God. And then he thought, oh, good, I could do that. And he says, wait a minute, the second is very similar. You love your neighbor as yourself. So you're called to love God, and you're called to love people. Church, bless others and glorify God. How many of you can say amen? Bless others and glorify God. I was going to get into Romans 1, but that could be dangerous. 
<laughs> so we'll save that for another preaching. Romans 1 gives us some good stuff when it comes to this, but I'm just going to read the rest of this text that I want to read to you, and we'll close up after this point or two that I'm going to make. Here it is. Ready? <clears throat> we'll be done in, in five minutes. Here it is. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, <clears throat> dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord to live in a way that pleases God. Please God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. All right. I, I have to do this. Sorry. Forgive me. I thought I was just going to read through it. Paul says, you're doing it already. You're doing it already. How many of you feel like you're doing it already? And then, like, pastor pulls you in, like, but I need you to do it even more. Paul just says, you're already doing these things good. But guess what? Now you do it even more. You thought you reached your limit. And God's like, no, no, no. You live this way already. You live this way. You're pleasing God already, but... Now we encourage you to please him even more. Live in a way that pleases God. Let's go. Verse 3. God will, God's will for us is to be holy. Everyone say holy. And he goes into sexual sins and all that. Stay away from sexual sin. He's talking about being blameless. Stay away from sin. Each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Verse 6. Never harm, never cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins. And we have solemnly warned you before. What is he telling the church? Stay away from sin. Be cautious. Be discerning. Look around and say, I, 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 I got to make sure that I stay away from sin. Live, live holy lives. Verse 7 and 8. Let's just keep reading. God has called us. There's a little... Um, glitch right now in the system that's why you're not getting it on the screen so forgive us but just listen or follow us there on your bible verse 7 god has called us to live holy lives not impure lives therefore if anyone refuses to live by these rules you're not disobeying human teaching but you're rejecting god who gives the holy spirit to you so as we close up listen to this in refusing to live in the way that we're preaching today in the way that paul's calling us and god's calling us it is not disobeying human teaching it's not disobeying man's teaching it's not disobeying your mom your dad your parents your pastors it's rejecting god scripture says it's rejecting god we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other he says in verse 9 for god himself taught you to love one another indeed show your love for all believers brothers and sisters we urge you to love them even more than what you're doing now i love it Verse 11, make it your goal. We're ending on verse 12. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands just as we instructed you before. And people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend on others. Man, live holy and blameless. Don't be a busybody. Don't be in people's business. Serve one another. Do well. Live a quiet life. I, I love how one person puts this about living a quiet life because that's attacking modern, modern day's philosophy when all we're attracted to is entertainment and excitement. If, the, if my time here doesn't excite me, I can't, I can't be part of it. If I'm not being entertained, then I don't know. It's always like we have to be focused on how do I entertain? How do I, how do I, how do I attract people? This addiction to entertainment and excitement, it says, is damaging both spiritually and culturally. 
We might say that excitement and entertainment are like a religion for many people today. Look what, look what this scholar says as he's giving commentary of this verse. He says, this religion of excitement and entertainment, this religion has a God. It's called the self. This religion has priests. It's called celebrities. This religion has a prophet. It's called perpetual entertainment. This religion has scriptures. It's called tabloids and entertainment, news, informational programs. We could also say Instagram and social media. This religion has places of worship. Amusement parks, theaters, concert halls, sports arenas. We could say that every television and internet connection is a little chapel. Look what he says here. The religion of excitement and entertainment seduces people into living their lives for one thing. And that is the thrill of the moment. Christians, listen to me. I'm wrapping this up. You're not called to live for the thrill of the moment. That's what the world does. They live for the thrill of the moment. But these thrills are quickly over and forgotten. And all that is important is the next fun thing. Okay, this is old now. What do I do next? And never satisfied. This religion conditions its followers to only ask one question. Is it fun? And never wants us to ask more important questions. Like this. Is it true? Is it right? Is it good? Is it godly? That's the importance. So let's be a testimony. Let's be example to unbelievers. And let's be an example to each other, to two believers in the same way. And let's do exactly as Paul writes. Let us do as he says in all of this text. He says, we do not need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God has taught you to love one another. You already show your love for all the believers. Brothers and sisters, now we urge you to love them even more. Love them even more. So as we close up, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. And I want to pray into this. Lord, here we are together in this place that we call Nest Church. Nest Church is not a building. Nest Church is what we could all say that together we're part of in fellowship and in communion with one another that that right there makes us part of what this community is about when someone is going to celebrate we could come alongside them and celebrate with them when someone's hurting we could come alongside and hurt with them Lord this is what we are called to as our nest continues to move forward and Lord, we understand the scripture as Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. This encouragement to continue to be a blessing to others. This encouragement to continue to glorify God. And also to remember that as we bless others with God's true love, that in itself glorifies Him. So Lord, I just want to pray for every single one of us right now. Starting with me all the way down, no one is exempt from this. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that we would remain strong and steadfast. Lord, that we would keep the faith. 
Lord, that when our appointment with affliction comes, we'd be able to have a strong heart, established heart. That, Lord, we would be encouraged in our faith. That, Lord, we would be strengthened, Lord. Lord, that we would not be shaken by the enemy or by anything of the flesh that may rise up. That, Lord, when the temptation or the tempter comes, that we can laugh before his face because we see his tricks. It's as a dog that is waving his tail, just trying to flatter us. And we could look at him and say, there's no treats for you today. Today I will choose to live holy. Today I will choose to live blameless. Today I will bless others. Today I will glorify God. I pray, Lord God, that you would spark within our body. Lord, a, a desire, a desire to serve one another, a desire to truly glorify you within this community and outside of this community, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, with our children, that, Lord, we would be a blessing to others. So, Lord, I pray that as we continue to move forward, that we would see days that would marvel us and leave us in awe because of what your body will do and is called to do in these days. Lord, we give all of this to you, that you be glorified and magnified over this word, over our lives. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you in this place. It's in Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Amen.